Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, January, what are we, January 7th, 8th? What day? 7th, that's what I thought. Uh, edition of Invest Talk 2019, and I thank you for joining us today on Invest Talk. And it is Monday, and it's the start of just the second week of the new year. And I welcome you. I know I haven't been on for a little while because a lot of our recent holidays have fallen on a Monday. So uh, that's certainly, uh, uh, I'm excited to be back. This is the first show for the year. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for joining me today. Our daily objective here is to make you an above average investor and help you achieve whatever goals you have. Uh, And it's just like any goal you want to achieve, you want to start small. Start with the basics, uh, and we can certainly cover the basics. We can cover the complex, but ultimately, it's about what is on your mind. And we're going to provide you unbiased insights and information that hopefully will move you along step by step towards your specific goals. And I welcome your investment questions to get through to Invest Talk. All you have to do is call our anytime listener line at eight 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 ninety nine chart. That's 888-992-4278. Now, on Friday, the market was up big, and we had another uh, good day today uh, on the back of a few pieces of news. The biggest news was obviously the Federal Reserve uh, discussions out of an interview with uh, Janet Yellen, Ben Bernanke, and the current Fed chair, uh, Powell. He spoke, and he basically said, we're still open to the data. You know, if the data tells us to do one thing, we're going to do one thing. Okay. And it's really up to the incoming data for the market to tell them what they're going to do next. And I know if you've watched our webinar, was it two weeks ago? Thursday, about a week and a half ago, we talked about that central banks globally are finally not expanding their balance sheet for the first time in nearly a decade, okay? And that is a big change, actually, in the first time in over a decade. And the fact that the Fed has talked about maybe reversing course or at least not continuing on the same path that they're on, is certainly good news for the overall markets. Now, will they fall through? You know, I don't really think so. I think that the Fed, as long as the market stays relatively high levels, which, you know, after this bounce, I think that qualifies, uh, they're going to continue with QT, continue with an eventual rate hike. It's just a matter of when. And you also had some optimistic reports out of the White House on trade negotiations. 
but I think a lot of the damage has been done. Uh, and it's the damage hasn't really been too much to our economy, although our economy is slowing. Well, most of that has to do with liquidity uh, concerns and higher interest rates and on uh, effect on housing and other uh, industries like the auto industry, etc. Most of the negative effect actually is happening in the Chinese economy. Uh, if you were on the webinar a week and a half ago, you'll, you'll you have seen that the retail sales growth in China is now at its lowest level in 15 years. So even lower than it was during our last recession, you know, the global financial crisis. And just businesses there in general are less optimistic. Uh, they're more concerned about trade war and, and there's been a lot of malinvestment and, and bad lending. And uh, the, the Bank of China has, has been uh, tighter with their monetary policy over the last couple of years. And so all those things add up to a tough economic picture over there. Okay, so that's really what's happening in the market. Uh, you obviously have Apple have a big drop, uh, even though I think now it's uh, everyone, everyone and it's really interesting. Nobody really talked about Apple as dropping and then it's finally had this big news. It didn't really get much lower than the lows uh, of the month, you know, of, of December. And every media outlet was talking about how bad Apple is doing and blah, blah, blah. Well, you're late to the game. We talk about this. Usually when it hits the news wire, you're late to this news. Uh, and actually, to me, this was a bigger indication that it was a buying opportunity as opposed to probably a lot of people saw the headlines and they sold. Right? Now, the news today was the ISM non-manufacturing number. And that, once again, reflected a loss of momentum in the economy in the service sector. It was at 57.6 in December. In November, it was 60.7. So still growing, once again, just like our economy, but at a slower clip. Oil is bouncing, which uh, is a three-week high for oil, and I think this is a pretty decent time to be looking at oil stocks, and I think there'll be some near-term volatility this quarter, but through the balance of the year, I think oil will be a, a better place to be. After, once again, a big drop, right? And everyone's probably very negative on oil, but that oftentimes, depending on the economic backdrop and, you know, growth and inflation conditions, uh, can be a good place to be, and I do think that is. And PG&E, it uh, looks like it's going to declare for bankruptcy. This is a name that we missed. You know, we own some of this for clients. We got out of, out of it uh uh, sometime in November, December, I forget the exact time frame, uh, and move, moved on because uh, we thought this was eventually the the end result was bankruptcy because of how just terrible the legislation is for utilities here in California, and it's really just uh, bad bad laws, bad legislation that is hurting uh, will will eventually not only hurt uh, the, the investors but mainly the people who PG&E serves, those will be most affected and I think that's uh, it's a shame. What else? Uh, Disney is moving into Netflix's territory in 2019. Samsung revealed a new 8K TV which I think is kind of BS uh, at this consumer electronics show in Las Vegas. Uh, those are kind of the news events so far this year, and it's just the first week of the year, right? We're just one week in. Uh, it's the 7th of January, so there's a lot to talk about today. But first, let's make time for a question from our Anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hey, I was just calling. I have a question on um, STZ. 
Constellation brands. I know it dropped a lot um, recently, so I was wondering what you guys thought, if you thought it was a good time to get in. Yeah, let me know. All right, Constellation Brands, and uh, they are one of the largest alcohol producers or, or, or retailers uh, in the country, and that certainly is something that, in a, an environment or an economic environment that is slowing, could be uh, you know a, a, a great way to go, right? Uh, a great way to allocate your money. And the big question is now the time, though, just because uh, the economic backdrop is positive for them or or would uh, you would imagine it be positive for them are the fundamentals or the technicals lining up with that particular thought process right so that's how you, you start you start with okay where are we today where does this company fit in this backdrop of the economy and where it's going not where the economy was or even where it sits today but where it's going uh, and right now constellation brands is about a 32 billion dollar company Revenues are growing about 10% year over year last quarter. Earnings up supposed to be up 8% this year, another 8% next year. And yields about 1.7% on the dividend. Has about $9 billion in debt on top of its $32 billion market cap. Let's see where it's going though. Let me look at things like cash from operations. If you're on uh, Y charts, you'll be able to see cash from operations is at an all-time high. I like that. That's certainly trending in the right direction. Now the next question is, what about cash flow? Are cash flows mirroring that? And if you look at free cash flow in the trailing 12 months, that's also at actually at an all-time high. So I like those things, uh, but it is an area that, uh, from a technical perspective, has been hurt, uh, and it's not really doing better than the overall market. Uh, its relative strength is only 20. So it's doing worse than the overall market. Earnings down. Earnings are expected to come in a positive, uh, higher this year and next year. But those are being downgraded. Those projections are being downgraded. Uh, so let me look at the enterprise value to EBITDA is about ten. Not super expensive. Uh, so mainly, I just don't like the technical perspective. Uh, I really don't. Uh, I don't like how. Uh, Week it's been in the backdrop of uh, a weakening market. It's been more weak than the overall market. It should be holding up better. It's not. So I'm going to say no on Constellation Brands for now, but I do like the company long, long term. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I hope you know that Steve Pease and I can make time to provide a no cost portfolio review for you in person, on the phone, or via Skype or FaceTime. And Steve will have some return. We'll be returning to San Jose on January 23rd. Space is limited, but if you register early, you can arrange a one-on-one -on -one meeting with him. And together, you will get a good assessment of your portfolio and your strategy and ways to improve your strategy. Now, we're here for you, and we're headed into a quick break, a one-minute break, and I'm taking your questions now at 888-99-CHART. It's a new year. Welcome to 2019. Steve and Justin are always grateful when you make Invest Talk a part of your daily routine. And their unbiased guidance can be an invaluable aid to your efforts at building a strong portfolio. So as you work and plan for a comfortable financial future, please keep listening to our live Invest Talk programs and be sure to tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk and the 24-7 availability of program podcasts at investtalk.com. 
The phone lines are open, Justin's here, and he's ready for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to James in New York. He's asking about Western Digital. How are you just doing tonight? I'm doing well. What about you? How's your new year? Doing fine. Uh, very good, thanks. Um, I've seen this uh, Western Digital, if I recall previously. I think maybe you might have mentioned that was owned in some of your accounts, but seems that's fallen mm-hmm. a great deal. Um, I'm interested in I'm thinking about buying it, mainly for the dividend, uh, if you think that that is secure and if you think that this has fallen enough. I know that uh, I believe we were maybe hesitant about the sector at this point, but you know, given the circumstances, do you think it's a solid company that'll sustain that dividend for the long term? Yeah, so this is Western Digital, and this is a name that has fallen uh, substantially over the past couple years. Right, it's a uh, tie back in 2015 was somewhere in the neighborhood of $115 a share. Now we're at $37 a share, and it does yield about 5% and 5.2% to be exact. And earnings are supposed to fall 53% this year, from $14.73 net last year to $6.99, and that's even being downgraded even more. Revenues are down 3% year over year. Earnings are down 15% year over year. So it's uh, certainly going in a negative trajectory. However, it, the big question is: Is all that priced in? Right. In 2016, they made $5.79, and it's pretty much at those levels, the lows of 2016, and it's supposed to make over a dollar more than that this year. Uh, now, can, can it pay its dividend? Uh, I think it can uh, in, in the near term. Uh, cash flows are still strong, but it's a very volatile industry. Uh, its payout ratio is 117, but its cash dividend payout ratio is 21%. So its cash flow more than makes uh, up for that dividend payout. Uh, so we like Western Digital. We've been uh, owning it. We own it a little bit higher from here uh, in our Equity Income Plus program, which writes cover calls. And I think that's a great strategy for this this stock because uh, th- it's going to pay you that nice 5.2% dividend. You're going to get healthy premiums on those options uh, and on, on the call side. And that's the way I would own Western Digital, especially with how volatile it is. It'll hedge you on the downside, but give you some upside as well. So uh, I like Western Digital long-term, but love a covered call strategy in this market. Tomorrow on Invest Talk, the mortgage delinquency rate for major metro areas is rising. Have you visited investtalkacademy.com? You should. It can help you learn to invest like a pro because it features online classes that can teach you how to grow your investments independently. And you can learn more at investtalkacademy.com. Have you got a question for Justin? He's here and the lines are open. 888-99-CHART. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight 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 nine nine two four two seven eight. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now our main talking point today is: Are the markets overestimating the risk of a recession here in the United States? Now many experts have scaled down their growth expectations to about two percent for GDP growth this year. 
but you can't say that's a recession. It's just a slowdown of growth. You know, we had this in the 2015-16 time frame uh, as well. Uh, the big question is, are we going to find see a repeat of a resurgence in growth that we saw in 2016 and 17? Now, a lot of this has to do with a lot of what gave the market resurgence was uh, more QE out of the ECB, uh, uh, fiscal stimulus here in the United States with tax cuts. So those uh, those backdrops are a little bit different. Uh, and the bond market uh, is telling us that this is not the same as 2015-16. The U.S. Treasury curve has flattened to 20 basis points after the latest Fed hike. And this is giving a heightened perception that we're going into some sort of recession, right? There's uh, certain parts of the yield curve have inverted. If you're looking at LIBOR, London Interbank Offer Rate, that's higher than anywhere on the, the Treasury curve. So you could say that's in inverted because there's a lot of uh, a lot of cost of capital related to LIBOR. And some have pointed to continued tightening of financial conditions uh, as a reason why we're going to recession. And I would say that's certainly true. Financial conditions have gotten tighter, but they are, I wouldn't consider them tight. Okay. Uh, the big question is, will they become tight? Uh, and remember that the economic cycle is really the credit cycle. As long as credit is easy to get, uh, companies are rolling over their debt, uh, individuals are refinancing their debt, uh, then they can typically continue to go out and spend and hire and the economy keeps humming, right? And the feeling out there in the economy is that we're not going into recession, right? Most people have jobs, unemployment rate is low, and in fact, many people are quitting their jobs to go get other ones. My cousin just quit hers, <laughs> uh, and she thinks she's going to get another job very easily. So, Clearly, people aren't seeing what the markets are seeing. Okay, uh, and the, I think the big question for me is what are what's the policy for the balance of the year from central banks? Now, if I knew what they are, if we were on the same trajectory as we are now, where the ECB is not printing anymore, the Bank of Japan is printing less, the the, the Fed is continuing with QT, uh, then balance sheets globally, central banks are, are, are falling, I think it's a pretty good likelihood that we are either near a recession by year end or you know into one early part of next year. But if the Fed pivots or central banks pivot globally and to real expanding liquidity once again, then you know I think uh, the recession is kind of off the table. And Certainly, the trade war can can change things. Uh, however, I don't think it's as big of a deal as a lot of people are making it out to be. Right? The media likes to talk about it because uh, you know it's it involves Trump, which always gives headlines, whether you like him or don't like him, uh, and it's something that 
will be in the headlines, I think, all year until there's some sort of resolution. And I doubt there'll be a resolution. I think what the the 90-day truce is something like 30 days in, so we have another two months to figure out whether there is some sort of deal and they could pun again and do another 90-day truce, right? But to me, the central bank action and whether they continue on the path that they're on will tell me whether we're going into a recession. And I think that Powell is different. Powell is not Yellen. He's not Bernanke. He has been, he was very critical of QE2, QE3, expansion of the Fed balance sheet. He, he, he saw way back then the problems that it would create in the future and it really came to pass, which was people were make, taking risks and, and allocating capital to areas that just long-term weren't sustainable uh, and have created a lot of excesses in our economy from mainly uh, corporate debt, uh, buybacks, things like that. And I don't see him having what used to be called the Bernanke put or the Yellen put. I don't think really there is too much of a PAL put. And if there is, I think it's a lot lower in the market than it was for Bernanke and Yellen. And so it tells me that uh, the Fed is going to continue to sneak in a hike, to continue with QT as long as things are relatively okay, okay, until we hit some sort of a crisis. Um, and so that's why I continue to see the downside of the market being more likely than the upside this year. Now, you are listening to Invest Talk, and I'm Justin Klein. I believe that every investor should determine their own individual risk tolerance. We're all our own per- people. So go to investtalk.com, take the Risk Lives Risk Questionnaire, and we'll help you out from there. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where every investor has an opportunity to determine their risk tolerance by using a free online tool at investtalk.com. It's called Risk Lives. Riskalyze offers valuable technology that will pinpoint with unmatched accuracy a client's acceptable level of risk. So know this, your first step to greater financial success is taking a short Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire. Steve and Justin can use the results to ensure that the risk in your portfolio becomes aligned with your investment goals and expectations. In other words, your particular financial situation. So why wait? You can get started controlling your investment destiny right now at no cost. Go to the InvestTalk menu link at investtalk.com, scroll down and click on Risk Questionnaire. This is InvestTalk, and we're glad you're with us today for one hour of financial news and perspective. And your decision-making process can benefit from this practical and unbiased advice especially if you consult with Steve or Justin. Step up now with your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Good afternoon, Steve and Justin. I certainly enjoy Invest Talk through the podcast that you put out every afternoon. I've uh, got a quick question for you. I've heard you talk about tailoring your uh, individual portfolios for uh, risk tolerance and that you have managed portfolios. And I just wondered, based upon um, average risk tolerance versus aggressive versus, you know, safe, secure risk tolerance, 
What was the uh, performance ratios that you enjoyed in 2018? I'll listen for your answer and thank you again very much. Well, that's a that's a tough question to to answer. I don't really have a, a great answer because that's such a broad broad question. I mean, we can send you specifics if you're, you know, and, and I can't really speak to that on the air because of, of regulations. Uh, but what I can say is that we do have different, we have five different strategies, a couple of aggressive, uh, two that would be more moderate to moderately aggressive, and then one that's, uh, would be considered moderately conservative. Uh, and there, there's different benchmarks that you have to give each one uh, because uh, they are have different strategies uh, that are deployed in different ways and for different types of accounts as well as uh, different goals. Um, so in general, we were, I'll say this, we were more conservative throughout the year than we typically are. Uh, in all of our strategies, which means that we either had more cash or we had a uh, higher level of, of bond holdings if uh, it's a strategy that, that carries bonds. Uh, in our cover call strategy, we would sell calls that were more close to the money as opposed to farther out of the money because we wanted more hedge on the downside. Uh, we, we were in sectors that were did usually were overweight sectors that were did better throughout the year, like uh, consumer staples, um, utilities, things like that. That's where we our main focus was throughout the year, and uh, our our focus this year will be similar, uh, but with uh, with some changes, especially once we get through this first quarter. I think of the year, uh, the market will probably change its. Uh, its tune, its focus, doesn't have to be, has to go to new highs, but uh, I think there's be different economic conditions uh, based on where we're going to be in a couple months versus where we were, you know, this time last year. So, you know, I'll just say in general, we've we've been more conservative. We were more conservative all throughout 2017 than uh, the overall market. So, you know, some, you know, formed its, its benchmark, uh, others did not. Um, but it also depends on which benchmark you choose. So I wish I could give you specifics, uh, but that was kind of our position for most of the year. Most of it didn't work out for the first three quarters, uh, but worked out great through the fourth quarter, which was obviously a very bad month for the or bad quarter for the market, and something we kind of expected, but we expected it to be through most of the year as opposed to concentrated in the fourth quarter. I'll say that. Thanks for the call. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You tell you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about 20 minutes left, but it's going to go by fast, so give me a call. Let's talk a little bit about the ECRI Weekly Leading Index. This is something I follow regularly. Uh, Steve is going to, on Best Talk Academy this week, is going to talk about the economic cycle. I believe he's going to talk about this and some others, but this is one of my favorite ways to look at where the economy is headed, okay? And this is the Economic Cycle Research Institute. You can find this on their, on their website. They issue uh, a number each week, every Friday. And the latest one came out on Friday the 4th. And it decreased to 142.4. 
and that was a growth rate of negative 5.3% year over year, and that is approaching a seven-year low, a seven-year low. And if you look back in history, when we get down to these levels, negative 5% or more, it becomes much a much higher likelihood that we're going to have a recession. Now, if it just touches it for a brief moment, I don't think it's the end of the world, but if it stays in these levels, then I could easily see this being a strong indication that a recession is in our future, in our near future. Recession is always in our future. It's just a matter of how close it is. Uh, and so that's that was pretty interesting to me to see that come in here uh, in the early part of it was actually it was the close of the last year so 12 28 18 they release it for a week later and they compile the data and uh, th there are a lot of factors that go into this including the the S&P so clearly the S&P has been weaker year over year the growth rate year over year is now down right from a year ago the market's lower uh, so it's it's very likely that we are at very I mean, we knew we were heading for a slowdown in the economy we knew that that's not news right but what is news is that it is slowing to the rate the leading indicators are slowing to a rate that is showing that we are we are edging on the next recession okay now this happened back in people are going to say well this happened back in 2010, 2011, 2014, 15. And what I would say is, yeah, what did the what did the central banks do? Well, QE2 happened, QE3 happened, the ECB uh, QE program happened. All of these things happened to re-inject liquidity into the system, re-inject lending and borrowing and spending and more economic activity. And that's why I said earlier in the program, a lot of what I think happens for the rest of the year predicates on what our central bank's doing. Are they going to continue on this path of normalization, of reduction of balance sheets? Are they going to continue to reduce liquidity every every day, basically, right? Because the, the Fed, I, I talked about this, I believe, before Christmas, was that based on their Fed's own study, that every $50 billion, sorry, $200 billion in balance sheet runoff is like one Fed rate hike. I can go back into the numbers. That's basically what it means. So right now we're at $50 billion a month. So that means every four months is going to be one Fed rate hike. So the Fed, so for this balance of this year, are expected to be an automatic pilot for three rate hikes. The equivalent of three rate hikes. Now, last year you could argue we had four rate hikes plus balance sheet unwind. That was closer to six rate hikes, right? Because they've ramped that uh, that balance sheet reduction out throughout the year. So, this leading indicator uh, series is telling me we are on the cusp of a recession, and unless the central banks reverse, we're likely going to have one. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Now we stream and broadcast Invest Talk live on the four o'clock hour pacific time each weekday our podcast is also available 24 7 via our archive podcast at investtalk.com i hope you'll tell your friends and family members about invest talk and please let them know that they can listen anytime by clicking on the podcast links at investtalk.com and now the lines are open 
We are trying. We are taking your finance and investing questions live at eight 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 ninety nine chart. This is Invest Talk, and Steve Peasley is returning to San Jose to meet with Invest Talk listeners that understand the value of receiving a free portfolio review from Steve. Mark your calendar Wednesday, January twenty third. If you live anywhere in Northern California. You should reserve your space for a no-cost portfolio review consultation. Steve will analyze your portfolio's strengths and weaknesses so that you can start 2019 with a much better chance of building a comfortable financial future. Register now at investtalk.com. Okay, you've got finance and investment questions. Justin is here and you can get his unbiased answers. Call now. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Ryan. I had a question about Costco. Been looking at it. Costco Wholesale. Uh, looks like it's taken quite a big hit and just wondering your guys' thoughts on if this is a good entry point or not. Uh, I look forward to your answer. Uh, listen on the podcast. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to say no on Costco. I, I love Costco. I shopped at Costco over the weekend. Uh, we're buying new laptops for our uh, our, our office. And I bought them at Costco because we get, um, you know, warranty and return policy and they have great deals. So I love Costco. <laughs> um, however, it's a cyclical name. And like I've said throughout this show, unless Fed re- reverses course or central banks reverse course, we're going into a recession most likely. And uh, the demand for and, and the sales at Costco are likely to going to uh, be hurt. Now, they're very loyal customer base, definitely more uh, loyal than the average retailer out there. Uh, they have a, a brand that will allow them to compete with Amazon. So long term, I, I love the company. Uh, however, technically, it's weak. Now, we- technically, its relative strength is 84, so it's actually doing better than the market as a whole. But it only yields 1.1%. Uh, and you know, I, I just see this as a name that is likely going to correct. Let me look at the value from a valuation perspective. Now, its market cap is 91 billion. Uh, enterprise value is 89, so it has a couple billion dollars in cash. I like that. Its enterprise value to EBIT is 15, uh, and that's a little bit too high for me. Let me look at where this kind of trades long term. If you're uh, watching our, our YouTube live stream, you'll see uh, I have Y charts up, a lot of data points, and you can chart out uh, certain data points on specific stock, stocks uh, like uh, like Costco and actually pretty much every stock in its history. And I like to buy things when they're trading at inexpensive levels compared to uh, valuations compared to their history. And if you look at Costco at 15 time enterprise value to EBITDA about 15, that's much higher than its long-term average. Uh, I would say its long-term average is somewhere in the neighborhood of nine or 10, right? If you're looking long-term, nine or 10, and that's 33% lower than here. Uh, so I'm gonna say no on Costco until we get back to you know at 200, around 150. 125 in that range, somewhere in there, that's where I would like to own Costco, but not here at $207 a share. I think it's still too expensive going into a slowdown in the economy, and the P ratio is 29. I hate the P ratio because it's so basic and really doesn't tell you too much about the valuation of the business, but it's very expensive going into a slowdown, but keep it on your watch list. 150, I would love to start picking it up, and down to 125, I would be 
buying it hand over fist. Thanks for the call. That was Costco. C-O-S-T is the symbol. Now, although we are having a slowing economy, bankruptcy courts remain pretty quiet. Uh, corporate and consumer bankruptcy filings are at the lowest point in pretty much since the financial crisis. September 2010, court statistics showed 1.6 million bankruptcy petitions were filed, and that was the peak of the financial crisis. And now, in as of September 2018, there were more than 770,000 cases, so less than half uh, last year. And this is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because there's all there's not not only are things likely to go higher, right? Uh, usually people say, oh, well, the consumer's very confident. Well, usually consumer confidence peaks right before a recession. And same with bankruptcy cases. They usually trough right before a recession. But today's cases are, are a little bit different than uh, in the past. One is the fact that the cost to file bankruptcy with lawyers is going up. So there's that, right? Because there's just not as many uh, lawyers out there. They might be fo focusing on other things. And the cost to file it is anywhere from two to $3,000. And people who are having financial trouble just don't have that money. Okay. Now, older Americans are also filing bankruptcy at higher rates than normal. Why? Because they have too little income or they haven't saved enough for retirement. And healthcare costs can be very expensive once you hit retirement. And a lot of times people don't have anything to protect, so less people are filing because of that. Also, more people that have debt are younger people, and that debt is student debt. And guess what? Student debt can't be wiped out in bankruptcy. And because the fact that they have a lot of student debt, they haven't piled on credit card debt and all this other type of debt because they've been focused on servicing this student debt. So if all you have is student debt, there's no point in filing bankruptcy because it's not, the court's not going to wipe it out or give you any type of uh, relief there. Okay. Also, the Affordable Care Act, that has allowed less people to be bankrupt by medical bills, which you could argue is a good thing, but that's another reason why they're actually lower than has been in history. Now, typically, the bankruptcies follow debt-to-income ratios, and despite record levels of credit card debt, households are still in a better position, position to pay off their debts than they were during the recession. So, um, you know, because they have jobs, the interest on those uh, loans are lower than, than typical, uh, lower than average. And that's, been a, that, that's one of the reasons why people aren't filing for bankruptcy. However, in December, if you talk to, this is somebody who's reporting and talking to bankruptcy lawyers, they said they're now the busiest they've been in many, many years. So it sounds like, anecdotally at least, that bankruptcies are starting to pick up. People are starting to fall, or, fall in harder times. Uh, part of that could be the oil patch, right? Oil prices are very low. Uh, demand there and, and production is falling and layoffs are probably increasing. And you're seeing that actually in the data. So you're seeing an economy that is weakening, a housing and a 
uh, job market that is also weakening. So I see bankruptcies rising. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We're winding down. Give me a call, 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, the mortgage delinquency rate for major metro areas may be much higher than widely believed. Why the housing and mortgage crisis could be far from over. That story tomorrow. But now Justin is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your calls. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Larry in San Mateo. I wanted to know your opinion on TJX. It's come down from a high of 56 to 42. Revenue and earnings growth looks good. Has a great return on equity and not a lot of debt. PE ratio is good compared to its five-year average. I'll be listening on your broadcast. Thanks for taking my call. All right, he's looking at TJX, which is TJ Maxx. They operate 4,070 off-price apparel and home goods stores. And they plan to open about 238 more in between last year and this year. Uh, yields about 1.7% dividend yield. Revenue up 12% year over year. Earnings up 19% year over year. Its return on equity is very high. 60% trailing 12 months long term. It's very, very strong. Uh, so I like TJ Maxx from that perspective. It's a very profitable name that continues to be profitable. It's a um, you know, it's a budget con- conscious brand, which even in a recession, I think is going to do well. I think in all type of markets, it does well. Uh, even though you know you can go back to let's go back to the financial crisis. I think that's going to be very interesting to see what did cash flow operations do, what did EBITDA do, what did free cash flow do, what were those metrics. Were they down large during that time, or did they hold up better during a bad economy? And and that is something that I'd be I'm going to be very interested to see. So let me pull that up now. If you're on our YouTube live stream, you'll be able to see you'll be able to see that uh, you'll be able to see what it did way back then. Let me see. 2000 had a little dip in 2008 9, but just kept going from there. And that's definitely a positive. Free cash flow per share, yeah, all kind of the same. So it held up well in a recession. I like that. High return in equity, very, very profitable. Uh, let me look at its dividend coverage ratio. That's what I want to see. Dividend coverage ratio. Payout ratio is 28%. Cash dividend payout ratio is 35%. So that's definitely sustainable. And they have very little debt. So I like TJ Maxx. Uh, it's still... From enterprise value to EBITDA perspective, trading at 11, yeah, that's not crazy high by any by any means. So I kind of like TJ Maxx. Uh, it's come down from 52-week high, about 56. Now it's at 46. We bounce from here. You know, I think this will come back down into the low 40s, 41, 42. That's where I would start picking up TJ Maxx. But I like it. I like its anti-cyclical nature. I like its long-term profitability metrics and the fact that. It has very little debt. I like companies like that. You want companies right now that have little debt, don't need to roll over any maturities or anything like that, and are strongly cash flow positive. And uh, you know, I think TJ Maxx definitely qualifies. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. Eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Let's talk a little bit about two thousand and eight. 
sorry, not 2008, 2018. <laughs> we just finished 2018, and it was a year where the S&P was negative for the first time in a decade. But most other foreign markets were much worse. China, uh, Europe, most of Europe, uh, you know, you could say we had a bad year in our markets, but this was something that was ongoing in foreign markets for a long, long time, for most, almost all the year, right? I talked about earlier how most of ours was just the end of the year, the last uh, three months. It was far worse than that for most of the, the year in foreign markets and, and because of shrinking liquidity. Right when liquidity starts to dry up, it starts to affect foreign markets the most. Why? Because we're on a dollar global system. The dollar is the global reserve currency, and therefore, when liquidity is tight, money flies to the dollar and away from other currencies. Uh, it and, and and that buoys more money going into dollar-denominated assets like U.S. stocks. Now, what you could say is that bad returns imply better returns for the future, and that's certainly true. Uh, but it, and vice versa, you know, you can talk of you can look at that one-year time frame, or you can look at a ten-year time frame. And to me, this is the start. This is the beginning of an environment, a stock environment, and an asset environment that's going to be more choppy, more sideways, less trending, and a lot more difficult to make money in. So you need to be on your game when it comes to picking great investments, having the right strategy, because indexing will not work for the foreseeable future. I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program, and I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Steve will be here tomorrow. Have a nice evening. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.